0: Galatians 6, verses 11 to 18, on page 1172. See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. Those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. The only reason they do this is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. Not even those who are circumcised keep the law, yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers and sisters. Amen.
1: I know, well, it's nice to see you. Um, if you haven't been with us for the last however long, you have missed quite a lot, because this is Galatians, the last kind of, uh, part of Galatians that we're looking at to, together. Um, and um, I guess in these closing remarks, what's great about these last eight verses or so in, in this um, book so the Apostle Paul doesn't just kind of spout off some niceties at the end, kind of like, oh yeah, and you know, see you later. And he, he, he actually kind of summarizes everything he said so far. And I think that's really, really helpful. I don't know if you've got kind of a memory like mine, but when we finish a sermon series, you've kind of like been in a book for ages and you kind of forget it like two weeks later. So it's really quite helpful just to have um, something of a kind of simple take home from our series, if you like. And that's what Galatians 6, to 18 is. So kind of what we see in these verses is Paul's overarching aim in writing to the Galatian Christians. His purpose is to expose the counterfeit gospel doing the rounds at the time and to bring the Galatians back to the true gospel of faith in Jesus. I don't know if you've, um, if you've seen those people whose job it is to identify genuine banknotes from counterfeit banknotes. Um, you know, 10 years ago, you could have easily done it, just hold a tenner up to the light, and if the queen's head emerged, it was real, and if, if not, then it, it wasn't. But now forgery technology has got so good that actually um, you, you, need, you need experts to do this job. And in order to become an expert, to tell the difference between the fake and the counterfeit and the genuine... Basically, you have to just spend hours and hours and hours holding, touching, looking at genuine ones so that when you come across a fake, you can just tell it's a fake straight away. That's the only way. They often can't even tell you why it's a fake. They just know. And and this is Paul's aim for the Galatians in this letter, and indeed us, that we know so well the genuine gospel of salvation through faith alone that we can spot a fake off. As I say, there's this false gospel doing the rounds in Galatia that seems and sounds and smells like the good news of salvation through faith in Jesus alone, but it added extra requirements for believers on top of their faith in Jesus in order to feel absolutely assured. And this turns this infinitely valuable message of the gospel into something completely worthless. After all, a, a good forgery, a good forgery of a £10 no, isn't worth £9. Whereas a bad forgery is worth £2. No, forgeries are all worthless. So Paul is desperate for us not to be deceived by the fake. He wants us to be absolutely sure that we've placed our faith in the genuine, infinitely valuable message of Christianity. The counterfeit is worthless. It cannot save. Only the genuine gospel and save, and I think having this assurance is just so important for us in our culture Uh, you know many today feel they just can't be assured about anything there's no ultimate truth which is true for everyone we believe people have their own truths even if those truths contradict one another which sounds really kind doesn't it but it's so destabilizing if we're calling two contradictory things true, how can we be sure of anything? Let alone our standing before God. And so when we come to the Bible, perhaps we find it compelling, but in, in, the, book, in the backs of our minds we're thinking, okay, but how can I be sure? How can I be sure that this is true? And with no assurance before God... We're just left bobbing around in a sea of competing views and opinions. It's called the internet, to be quite frank. No way to detect God's genuine message of grace from the counterfeit message going around. I don't know if you can relate with that at all. Perhaps, perhaps you've found yourself asking questions like, is this Christianity thing true? What if I've got it wrong? Am I actually saved? How can I know for sure whether I've got this message right. Well, the book of Galatians is a gift to us because Paul wants us to live in the joyful freedom of being sure. So in chapter 6, verses 11 to 18, which is where we are today, please have your Bible open, he once again exposes the counterfeit message that was going around. And I guess he's asking us, which are you placing your faith in? The real deal or the fake? The genuine or the counterfeit? So let's take each of those in turn. Um, as I say, have 1172 turned up. We're going to be looking at that in a second. Is this going to work? I think, I think my thing wasn't on, so there we go. So first of all, the counterfeit. You, that's a banknote if you're wondering. The who, what, why, and the result of, uh, of, uh, of the counterfeit. So start with me in verse 12: What is the counterfeit message and who was teaching it? Uh, well, Paul wants to remind us. First 12: those who want to impress people by means of the flesh are trying to compel you to be circumcised. So who? Who's behind this counterfeit? Well, Paul's talking cast your mind back, way back when chapter one, he's talking about those guys we saw back then, the so-called Judaizers. Okay, in verse 7 of chapter 1, they're described as those trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. Because they taught that faith in Christ saved us, sure. But they wanted Christians to add to their faith Jewish religious customs like circumcision, food laws, and observing special days. Their, their, Their message was essentially that salvation was found in Jesus, plus practicing Jewish religion. It was found in Jesus, plus our religious works. It was found in Jesus, plus who? Us. Jesus plus us. Jesus gets us half of the way there. Then it's over to us. And this is called confidence in ourselves. Paul describes in verse 12 this as living by means of the flesh. Or in verse 13 he describes it as boasting in the flesh. So that's what the counterfeit message was and who was preaching it. But why were they preaching it? What was their motivation behind it? Well, I've, I think we're given two reasons. Firstly, in verse 12, it's to impress people. Religious people look so impressive, so committed to God, doing all the right things, knowing all the right words. They look good, but their motives are not bent towards pleasing God, but pleasing and impressing people. And we're given a second reason why they're preaching this false gospel at the end of verse 12, quite explicitly. The only reason they do this, Paul writes, is to avoid being persecuted for the cross of Christ. You see, to claim that our only hope before God is in Jesus' death on the cross is to say that we can't do anything to save ourselves. Our sin is an immovable rock for any of us to move out of the way. And that's really offensive to religious people. The whole goal of religion is to move the rock out of the way by what we do. You know what, it's also offensive for non-religious people who tend to think of themselves as pretty good. They don't think there is a rock. (laughs) No rock to move. We're probably most like the Galatians. We know we need Jesus' death on the cross for our sins to to kind of get us onto the right path. But after that, we kind of have to keep going as a good Christian. Keep yourself on the path. But no, no, this is still putting confidence in ourselves. This is still boasting in the flesh. You see, preaching this message of salvation, that it is 100% Jesus' life and death from first to last, that it's completely outside of us. It's completely outside of what we do and what we fail to do in our lives. That's a pretty scandalous message, isn't it? One that at best will get you socially rejected, likely in our uh, culture, for for kind of claiming that we even need something saved from. At worst, in many places in the world, it gets you martyred. So that's the who, the what, and the why of this counterfeit message. But what about the result? Where does the Jesus plus us gospel end up well look at verse 13 not even those who are circumcised keep the law yet they want you to be circumcised that they may boast about your circumcision in the flesh essentially Paul is saying this trying to keep the law as a way of salvation doesn't work quite simply because we don't keep it it'd be a perfectly good means of salvation if we did or if we could Circumcision might be the external sign of being a lawkeeper, but obedience is a matter of the heart. And here we see that these guys' hearts who are proclaiming this message are wholly unchanged. Why? Because they're doing it in order to get converts to this counterfeit message. It's all about me. Look how great I am. Look how many converts I've got. Their hearts are completely unchanged by their message, by their gospel. It's counterfeit. You see, trying to keep the law or boasting in the flesh, putting confidence in ourselves, however we phrase it, it saves us from neither the punishment of sin, nor the power of sin in our lives. It gets us nowhere. Unchanged and still facing the judgment of God. It's it's just a fake gospel. (laughs) One that parades around as good news, when really it's completely worthless. Indeed, it's, it's dangerous. We mustn't read Galatians and think, oh, that was an issue that was going around back then. That was an issue way back when. It's kind of restricted to that time. We might not have Judaizers going around our society urging people to get circumcised in our churches, but their message is very much alive and well. Indeed, salvation in, by, and for ourselves it's just the default, it's the common rule of every society and culture, this side of Adam and Eve, this side of the fall. In religious circles, whether it's the Muslim pursuit of submitting to Allah's will, or, or chasing Buddhism's Nirvana through disentangling ourselves from our own desire, to the kind of Christianity that merely calls its people to, to be a bit more like Jesus, to try a bit hard, just be a bit more like Jesus. It is all salvation by what we do. And it is all boasting in the flesh. Or in the non-religious side, whether we pursue salvation in the lavish lifestyle or or the career or in the mantra of you do you. Whether it's in our never-ending introspection through which we try and think our way out of life's problems. I could go on and on and on, but the point is this. For both the religious person and the non-religious person... All our hopes and dreams, our salvation—if you want to call it that—is by what I do and who I am. It's just the default of our hearts, and that is the counterfeit gospel. That is the counterfeit message. It cannot save, it cannot change us, it cannot save us. So, if that's the counterfeit, then here is uh, the genuine, the genuine gospel. The genuine message of Christianity that Paul wants to reiterate in these final verses. So let's start with the who, as in, if the Judaizers were the ones proclaiming that counterfeit gospel, who is the one proclaiming the true gospel? We'll have a look at verse 11. Paul writes, See what large letters I use as I write to you with my own hand. And you're like, what? <laughs> is that sounds like something a four-year-old trying to write, kind of would say, see what large letters I'm using with my own hand. And what is, the, what is the point of this? You know, well, this is so, so important, okay? Again, cast your mind back to chapter one. Bear, bear in mind, bear, but just keep that in your mind. Remember how many in our culture, we said at the beginning, don't know how to be assured of whether something is true or false? There's is no way that we can do it in our kind of relativized. Culture and Christians themselves coming in, you know, with that cultural framework can really grapple with whether the Bible really does record the true message of Jesus. How can we be sure this is Jesus' message? Well, here, Paul, what he's doing is he's taking the pen from his scribe, right? Posh word is they had an an amanuensis. There's a guy who basically he would dictate to him and he would write down Paul's message. Paul takes the pen and writes, Here, you can see this is my own hand. This is I, Paul, who is writing this. The apostle that I spoke about in chapter 1, remember that? The one who received the gospel directly from no other than Jesus Christ himself. The one who holds his authority to to proclaim the true gospel. That is me. In verse 17 he says something similar but takes a different tack. He says, I bear the marks of Jesus on my body. He's talking about the bruises from the beatings that he's taken for proclaiming this message, a sign of authenticity to the same persecuted message that got Jesus killed himself. None of this teaching that's going to get other people, you know, impressed with him or kind of collect a few fanboys and girls along the way, none of that. Paul is saying this gospel that I give to you, it is the genuine Jesus-given truth which you can live and you can die by. He's the Jesus-appointed apostle. So that's the who. How about the what? I guess this is key, isn't it? What is the genuine message of Christianity? Well, it's this. The only way to salvation is to give up all hope in yourself and fall entirely on the love and grace poured out for the forgiveness of your sins at the cross where Jesus died. That is our only hope before God. In contrast to boasting in the flesh, Paul uses this kind of ironic line to get the message across. He talks about boasting in the cross. Okay, So verse 14, have a look what Paul writes. He says, May I never boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. I don't know if you can see the irony of of what's going on, of boasting in the cross of Christ. Genuine Christian faith boasts, not in ourselves, but in the most humbling event in human history. The cross was the public display of our inability to save ourselves. We, We boast in the very thing which reveals how little we have to boast about. And why do we do that? Well, because Jesus died on the cross to achieve what we've all tried to do by ourselves and failed. He died to take away our sins. He died to put us in the right with God. He died to share his unconditional and eternal love with us. He died to assure us of eternal salvation. And those things that we were pinning to ourselves and our own performance and our own strength and our own lives such that we were boasting in ourselves, such that we never had any assurance of whether we'd done enough. Well, now as we look to the cross, we see that all of those things don't depend on us, and all of those things have been freely given to us. And so what are we boasting? We boast in the cross. Sorry, I'm getting passionate because it's, it's mad, isn't it? It's so say British, isn't it? Sorry, sorry for getting passionate, everyone. Sorry. <laughs> So we receive them as gifts of faith in Jesus, but we don't just receive it from him. We boast in Jesus. (laughs) Boasting in ourselves was just a a cover-up to hide our hopelessness and our shame and our sin, but because we now know that salvation isn't in us, but it is in him, because our salvation is as assured as an event that happened 2,000 years ago at the cross, we now freely heap honour and praise and glory on our Saviour Jesus Christ. We boast in him. What we could never do, he's done. What we could never be, he's been for us, on our behalf. So verse 14, we've, we're crucified, it's a kind of odd image, but we're kind of crucified, we're, we're dead to that old way of life that looked inward and felt pride if we liked what we saw when we looked inward. Or we've died to that life of looking inward and feeling shame if we don't like what we see. No, we've been set free to a whole new measure now. Indeed, it's the measure that Christ has already met for us. We're set free to a life of boasting in our own weaknesses because when we're weak, we hold Christ up as strong. And when we boast in the cross, we are laying down our glory and saying, he's glorious and he has saved me. So that's the who and the what. The genuine message of Jesus is Jesus plus nothing else. But how about the why? Why is Paul preaching this message? And I guess this is kind of, of all of them, this is kind of obvious, isn't it? Why is he preaching this message? Well, it's because it's the only one that works. It's the only one that works. The only one that achieves for us eternal salvation. The only one that can change our hearts. Look with me at verse 15. Neither circumcision nor uncircumcision means anything. What counts is the new creation. If the Galatians were using circumcision, that that religious act, to earn God's love, well, circumcision wouldn't wouldn't get them anywhere. Remember verse 13? Those who desperately try to keep the law, don't keep it. Trying to keep the law just shows us how much we need grace. And of course, circumcision here just stands for any kind of Any kind of part of our performance or life that we look to as a gauge for God's feeling towards us. And there's some classic ones, Bible reading, prayer, service of the poor, how much theology I know, my competence in one area of life or the other. But it could be absolutely anything. Any part of our performance we use to tell us what God thinks of us counts for nothing. Pretty radical, isn't it? Counts for nothing. What counts, verse 15, is the new creation. All of the ways we try to find heaven by ourselves, all the ways we try to conjure up here on earth in the lifestyle or in the career or in the relationship or in the bank balance, all the ways we worked our hands to the bone to try and bring heaven to earth in our lives, they never worked, do they? Or if you still have hope in those things, they will never work. They never achieved for us what we wanted them to achieve. They just disappointed us. They will disappoint us. Likewise, all of our religious efforts to earn heaven beyond the grave. Like, oh, we know it's not here, but if I try hard enough, then at least I'll get heaven that side of the grave. Well, that, when we tried so hard, we just realised that all, all it did was show us how much forgiveness we needed. It, just, it was like a mirror showing us our sin. But here's what counts. <laughs> the new creation. God's promise of a place without Sin or pain or abuse or relational fallout or fear or depression or longing or arrogance or strife. Where our hearts will finally be full and contented and at rest. And here's the thing, which we hopefully we've got by now. We don't earn it. That is given to us. And it's only when a human heart locks onto the fact that this is a promise for them, that it's genuinely coming on the other side of the grave or when Christ returns. It's only when we truly believe that, that we stop looking inwards to ourselves to see if we've got it deep down inside of us to get ourselves there. And we turn outward to him, wanting now nothing else but to serve him and to serve others. You see what's happened there? It's been a complete heart change. Only grace can set you free. Liberating grace frees us not only from the punishment of sin, which is what we talk about a lot, it sets us free from the power of sin. It changes us from the inside out. The very thing that the counterfeit message was trying to do, just do this and you know, be, be a bit good, and it, like, it never worked. Here's the message of grace that truly changes us, what counts as the new creation is coming your way and that will change you so finally that's the why what's the result of putting our faith in this genuine message of Jesus see it's not that we have to wait until the new creation for it to have any kind of bearing on the here and now no no, verse 16 two words, peace and mercy to all who trust in Christ, the true people of God. That's what it means by the true Israel of God. He's, pl- he's having a bit of a joke there. You can ask me about that after- afterwards. But the true people of God, the true Israel, there's no more striving to be good, to be good enough. There's peace. Because there's mercy. There's mercy for you. This is calm, a settled peace, a, a profound hope. In what's coming? So, this is the genuine gospel. Do you know what? It's the only gospel. Again, remember chapter one? He labored that point so much. It is the only gospel. Verse eight of chapter one if we, this is Paul, if we or even an angel from heaven should preach a different gospel other than this one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. And be assured. This is the real deal. It's the real thing. It's the genuine. So as we close our time in Galatians, let me just put it to you really frankly. This morning, each and every one of us in this room, no matter who we are or who we aren't, or who we, what we've done or what we've not done, can have a 100% assurance of God's unfathomable love his eternal and unending favour, his righteousness, his fatherly care and his eternal promises. Because it doesn't depend on who you are. It doesn't depend on what you've done or what you're currently doing, but on who he is and what he's done for you. Can you imagine the genuine freedom of knowing 100% that the God of the universe is smiling down on you right now? The one who beckons you as his child to come and talk to him in prayer. The God who is... Perfectly ordering every circumstance, every relationship, every pain in your life to draw you deeper into this fellowship which He's won for you at the cross. The one who knows your suffering intimately because He Himself suffered in Jesus Christ for the joy of calling you His daughter or His son. Can you imagine the liberation? of walking out of this building this morning with the full assurance that no matter what happens in your life, no matter the ways that you're going to mess it up or keep it together, no matter what happens, that God's perfect new creation is the home to which you are destined. Wouldn't it just be what dreams are made of? I think there's a good reason why it's what dreams are made of. It's because it's what we were made for. That's why we dream about those things. Brothers and sisters, can you see the immeasurable value of this genuine, God given, Jesus bought gospel of grace? If you can, the obvious question is simply have you turned your back on finding grounds for hope in your own strength, your own performance, your own life well lived? Have you given up that boast and turned to the Lord Jesus Christ, whose cross is enough? to do everything that you can't do for yourself and be for yourself? Is he your boast? John Bunyan was a, a guy who lived in the 17th century. He'd been mulling over the Christian faith for, for some time. and um, He was walking through a, an apple field, as you do in the 17th century. Um, and and, and, and this, this scandalous message of grace just came into his life he just he just he just landed in his life with a thud as he was mulling it over and his retelling of it gets the heart of what we've been saying all through the Galatians series so I'm just going to end with with a lengthy paraphrase of what he says he says one day I was passing through a field with some uh, with some things weighing on my conscience suddenly this truth fell upon my soul your hope before God is not here but in heaven in Jesus Christ Wherever I was or whatever I was doing, God could never say of me that I lacked his perfection because it was always right in front of him, in his son, sitting at his right hand. In that moment, I saw that it was not my right frame of heart that made me better before God, nor my bad frame of heart that made me worse. For God's acceptance of me was not in myself, but was in Jesus Christ, who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now did not my chains fall off. And I was free. Indeed, I went home rejoicing for the grace and love of God. (laughs) What's going to make you go home rejoicing today? Isn't it this? Isn't it this? Your perfect standing before God the Father is not in yourself, but it is in Jesus who never changes. This is the genuine message of the gospel which liberates. Chapter 5, verse 1. Stand firm then, and don't let yourselves be burdened again by a yoke of slavery, by that counterfeit gospel that we all tend to believe. Don't do it. So he finishes verse 18 with the only way to finish. The grace, the grace, the undeserved kindness and mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, be with your spirit. Amen. Heavenly Father, we um, just thank you so much, Lord, for the fact that you have recorded in your word the genuine message of gospel, of the gospel of grace. Father God, for all of us who all have tendencies bent in on ourselves, which look inwards and not outward to our perfection in the Lord Jesus Christ. Lord, we just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would impress in our hearts what you've done for us. That you show us the cross of Christ, which is our only hope. And not only that, the hope that truly changes us and truly gives us everything our hearts long for. Lord Jesus, we praise you and worship you. Lord, we boast in you this morning. Amen.